Hi, friends. Thank you for tuning in and listening to the first episode of Badass Saints and Extraordinary Women. I'm Maria Marrera Johnson, and over the course of this season titled Desires of the Heart, I'll be sharing stories about my faith journey and how some extraordinary women and even more extraordinary saints have helped me grow in faith and love. I think it's appropriate in this first episode to introduce myself. I'm a writer, once upon a time a podcaster. I haven't done that in many years, and so today I begin again to share some stories with you that I hope are inspiring as well as interesting. A very good friend of mine told me that faith is caught, not taught. The best kind of evangelization is to make friends. I hope, over time, you'll consider me a friendly break in your day and engage with me on topics you find interesting. So who am I? I'm a wife, mother, and grandmother, living my vocations with love. When the sun goes down and the dishes are put away, I'm a writer. My first book, My Badass Book of Saints, inspired this series. My readers often ask for more stories of real-life women with extraordinary stories to inspire us. Real life is rarely as nice and neat as some of the tidy images we see of the saints. After all, they were real people like us who struggled with the ordinary and the extraordinary circumstances that make up our lives. The thing that sets the saints apart from us is the movement of grace in their lives. We can look to the saints for inspiration and ask the Lord for the gift of grace to practice the virtues in our personal quest for holiness in our lives. I didn't always practice this. I mean, I think I've always been a fairly good person. I think I've done some very good things in my life, maybe even selfless and noble at times. But I can say with some sadness and disappointment that I didn't always do these things with a joyful heart united to God's will for me. Why would this make a difference? The bottom line is simple. I'd like to get to heaven. I suppose I didn't actively think about this until later in my life, so I'm greatly consoled by Jesus' teaching in the parable of the workers in the vineyard in Matthew chapter 20. Jesus tells us that anyone who accepts his invitation, no matter how late in the day it is, will receive an equal share. I'm grateful for God's generosity and love, late as I am to the game, so to speak. St. Alphonsus Liguri said, Let us make up for lost time. Let us give to God the time that remains to us. The first time I heard that, I thought to myself, This, this is a message for me. I was baptized Catholic and grew up in a faithful family. I attended Catholic schools. I was a good girl, and I kept the sacraments into my 20s when I fell away from the church. This didn't happen in a dramatic act of disobedience, but rather in small moments of distraction and small acts of casual dismissal until it became a habit of putting all the idols in my life ahead of God. And Mass was replaced by a picnic with friends, and confession was set aside for gripe sessions over cocktails. The little lies I told myself grew into the biggest lie of all, that I didn't need God. Nothing, of course, could be further from the truth. 
I came to this understanding well into my thirties, and I have been making every effort to make up for lost time, as St. Alphonse has recommended. Because of this late start, I've been drawn to role models and saints who, having lived good lives, discovered a sense of holy purpose later in their lives. I remember watching Julia Child on PBS when I was a kid. It was a break in the afternoons between the end of the game shows and the reruns of Leave it to Beaver, when the only thing on TV was soap operas. I discovered the French chef cooking show, and while at eight years old I wasn't about to take over family dinners with a delicious cocovan, it gave me the confidence to follow the directions on a box of Betty Crocker. I forgot about Julia Child for years, relegating her to that file in my head for cultural references and let it go with that until I watched the film Julie and Julia. I was charmed by Meryl Streep and Stanley Tucci's performance and wanted to know more about Child. I read her biography, Appetite for Life, in a weekend, while wanting to be sampling her cooking. Her story is fascinating, riveting, and so, so badass. We all know she was the brilliant mind that brought the art of French cooking to the United States, but did you know she was a history major that went to work for the OSS, the Office of Strategic Services, the precursor to the CIA, during World War II handling highly classified documents and communications. Not only that, but Child created a shark repellent. Eight-year-old me watched her make bechamel sauce. Little did I know, she had been a spy. These must have been very exciting times for her. Child worked in Sri Lanka and China and had a distinguished career doing research in the secret intelligence department of the OSS. She met her husband while on assignment in China, and they married. After the war, she moved to Paris with her husband, who had joined the United States Foreign Service and took a posting with the U.S. State Department. Julia fell in love with French food. She fell in love with the entire culinary experience. She attended the famous Cordon Bleu Cooking School, graduating in 1951. Her membership in Le Cercle de Gourmets led to friendships and perhaps her most important collaboration beside her marriage. She was approached by Simone Beck and Louisette Bertold to co-write a French cooking book for an American audience. In 1961, Mastering the Art of French Cooking was published. The book launched Child into a second career in publishing and television. Child's culinary career spanned four decades and included dozens of award-winning books and television shows. Julia Child turned her passion for cooking a French cuisine into an accessible possibility across cultures, and she did this after the age of 40. St. Teresa of Avila is one of my go-to saints, but it hasn't always been like that. I struggled with understanding her, I think because she was declared a doctor of the church and I projected all kinds of complicated things on her. I thought she would be so deep and esoteric that I wouldn't understand her writings. I had often seen the Rubens painting of her and she looked so severe that I was afraid of her. Now, her pose strikes me as pensive, not stern. I'm sorry that I missed so many opportunities to learn more about her for such silly reasons. But the truth is, I wasn't ready to fully appreciate this remarkable woman 
and holy saint. Saint Teresa was born on the 28th of March, 1515, and died in October of 1582. She was born a noblewoman in Spain and lived during the time of both the Reformation and the Spanish Inquisition, which touched her grandfather years before she was born. Her father was a successful merchant, and Teresa had a life of privilege and leisure. She was given to reading about fashion and was occupied with tales of chivalry and knights. Teresa's mother died when she was only 10 or 11, and although the experience left her bereft, Teresa took on a devotion to the Blessed Virgin Mary. When she finished her schooling, the family expected her to join a religious community, but Teresa was too caught up in the world to make such a commitment. When she was about 20, she relented and joined the Carmelite Convent of the Incarnation. It was, at the time, an undisciplined community, and by Teresa's admission, she didn't live a very disciplined life there. Over time, this began to change. As a child, she had been gravely ill, and now in the convent, she became seriously ill again. After her recovery, she had a series of mystical experiences that changed her. In becoming more devoted to the Lord, she also became disenchanted with the lack of discipline in the convent. She longed to reform the convent, and with the support of her spiritual director and a wealthy patroness, Teresa founded a convent in Avila in 1562 and received the Pope's blessing the following year. The success of her endeavor resulted in a request from the Carmelite general to establish more reformed convents. She spent most of her fifties establishing convents across Spain. Meanwhile, she continued having mystical experiences and wrote prolifically. By 1576, Teresa had established convents for sisters and brothers of the Reformed Carmelite order, drawing the ire of the unreformed Carmelites. They persecuted her and members of her communities. Despite this, she founded several more convents in the last years of her life, even while under an order of retirement. St. Teresa's body of work was completed in the last 20 years of her life. What an amazing woman! She is patroness of headache sufferers and writers, and I suffer from both afflictions. One of my favorite quotes, the feeling remains that God is on the journey too, gives me consolation when I have none. After all, God is always at our side. I came into an appreciation for my faith as I approached midlife. Like Julia Child, who had a successful career working for the OSS, I enjoyed a successful teaching career that spanned several decades. And like Julia Child, I turned a passion into a second career as a writer and a speaker. I'm encouraged by St. Teresa of Avila's example. She did her best work after the age of 50. My takeaway from both of these women is that our lifetime of experience equips us for success in the next thing. What's your next thing? St. Francis de Sales said, begin again. It's a common refrain from saints and from coaches and mentors in all fields. What can you begin? What dream or project is waiting for your attention? Thank 
thank you for listening to this inaugural episode of Badass Saints and Extraordinary Women. I'd like to hear about the fascinating women and holy saints that inspire you. Please leave a review on iTunes and join the conversation at mariamjohnson.com where you'll find links to my books, My Badass Book of Saints, Supergirls and Halos, and Our Lady of Charity. And you'll also find links to my social media.